0: Welcome to Access and Opportunity, Connecting Capital and Communities, a show from Morgan Stanley where we introduce you to many of the people working to create opportunities in multicultural communities. From entrepreneurs to investors to developers to activists, our guests offer us tools that we might use as a playbook to invest in, develop, and transform communities and provide access to capital to women and multiculturally owned businesses. I'm your host, Carla Harris.
1: I lead an organization that acts as an urban pioneer. That's my good friend and Morgan Stanley alum, Hope Knight.
0: Hope is the president and CEO of the Greater Jamaica Development Corporation, and she's also a member of the New York City Planning Commission. It is hard not to be in awe of Hope. She has long been a known champion for community revitalization and economic development. She was at the forefront of the resurgence of Harlem that spurred jobs and commercial real estate investment all throughout Upper Manhattan. Now she is the critical person to the revitalization efforts in Jamaica, New York, in the borough of Queens. Now, when we started talking about this podcast, Hope immediately came to mind. It is widely known that strategic partnerships have become the most popular means of getting community development projects done. Hope's work in Jamaica relies on the strength of these partnerships. She partners with the city, local groups, and individuals to promote growth and transformation, which makes her the perfect guest to talk about the ins and outs of strategic partnerships. Hope, thanks for being here with me today. Thank you, Carl. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, Hope, you've called the Greater Jamaica Development Corporation an urban pioneer. How does your
1: organization fulfill that role? We own property. We have created an office. We own a market. We own parking facilities. And we deploy these assets into strategic projects for community use.
0: How did you decide on those assets?
1: Because they're, they're very disparate. So let me talk a little bit about the origin of Jamaica and its resurgence. So in the late 1960s, early 70s, many urban centers were in decline. There was lots of flight to the suburbs and these urban centers were left to decay. They had formerly been the seats of commerce and lots of vibrant commercial activity the Greater Jamaica Development Corporation was able to acquire some of these assets Mm. at very under market prices. And so parking lots, we were able to acquire. We are able to acquire an office building. We redeployed a space that was dormant into a food hall. And all of this was to spur activity in the downtown. So for example, parking lots to encourage people from the suburbs to come into the downtown to go shopping. Mm -hmm. The office buildings, we wanted to create an office market so that we could attract businesses and nonprofits to locate in the downtown. Talk a
0: little bit about how one might see this as an opportunity if you're in a city like the one you described, but yet nothing is percolating yet. Because if people don't perceive that there's a population that will support the businesses, then I can imagine that there's
1: challenges in getting them to come back into the urban area. So let me talk about the strategy that we have for Greater Jamaica. So at the end of the day, because there was all this flight to the suburbs in the late 60s, early 70s, there is very little residential density in the downtown. Mm. And so the first piece of the strategy, first leg, is really to create residential density in the downtown. And so we are working with private developers to create housing and a range of mixed-income housing to attract people to live in the downtown. So that's the first leg of the tools. The second leg of the tool is, In attracting that density, those people are going to need services to be supported for, things like grocery stores and dry cleaners and shoe repair stores and all kinds of essential services that people need to manage their lives. And so those are the kind of businesses that we are now attracting. And in addition, because there is a pipeline of residential housing now coming online. The national chains are starting to take attention. Uh So to make sure that our listeners understand the playbook,
0: you start first with multi-income housing. So throughout the economic chain, create population density. Next, Attract businesses that cater to human living, human services, the things that we need every day, no matter what economic band you're in. And then next, the larger chains come from the luxury chains all the way through everyday
1: chains. Absolutely. Because in these urban centers, they tend to be underserved from a retail perspective. Got it. Now, your organization was recently awarded a $10 million grant from
0: the state of New York to create a 10,000-square-foot shared workspace for local entrepreneurs and independent professionals in downtown Jamaica, Queens. So first, let me say congratulations, Hope. Not easy to do. Incubators and flexible workspaces have been known to be such a critical component to the development and support of entrepreneurs, particularly in this environment. And it's, frankly, an amazing addition to the community of Jamaica. So talk to us a little bit about that project.
1: Well, thank you. We're very excited about this co-working space. And we have done a couple of focus groups. And one of the things that has come out of the focus groups is that there are young people, millennials, who grew up in Jamaica and felt like they had to move away to pursue their professional endeavors because it wasn't sort of the right ecosystem, not the right space for them to locate in. And so we thought it would be important to create a space for folks that are in new media, design, architecture, to be able to develop a culture of innovation and really create something special in the downtown. Uh, we were awarded this $10 million to acquire build out and operate this co-working space. And it will be the first of its kind in downtown Jamaica.
0: Wow. And so, again, if we're going to articulate the playbook for someone who's thinking about this, talk to us about how you get the conversation started and go from the vision all the way through to the award. If I'm in the city of X and I see a real opportunity for us to do the same thing, how do I get started?
1: Well, let me talk about the circumstances which we encountered here in Jamaica. So as I tell you, you know, we're at the beginning stages of revitalization. Mm-hmm. And there was a space in the downtown that had been developed but not fully built out. And the space was dormant for quite some time. The space was required to be rented or sold to a not-for-profit or medical facility. So there were some constraints on Mm -hmm. uh, who could use the space, who could acquire the space. And so The Greater Jamaica Development Corporation went to the city of New York, who was basically in control Uh of the use of the space, and talked about this idea of a co-working facility to spark this innovation economy within the downtown Mm -hmm. of uh, Jamaica. And so it is working with your city stakeholders, your state stakeholders, whoever's in control of the real estate, and trying to create a plan together that is mutually beneficial to all parties involved. Because at the end of the day, we are trying to expand the economy in the downtown of Jamaica, but also regionally for New York City.
0: Let's talk a little bit about the real estate piece then. How do you pitch a developer? Like, what's the economic structure for them to come into a space like Jamaica and to
1: develop? So I arrived in Jamaica in 2015, and at that time, there was a little bit of construction going on, but not much. And so I spent my first 90 days, at least twice a week, taking developers on tours to look at what was happening in Jamaica. The seasoned developers began to get a sense that there was tremendous opportunity in that community. You know, it's not a built-out community, so there is tremendous land mass for building to take place. And I laugh about it today because some developers that were not as sort of insightful sort of took the tour with me. They, oh, this is very nice. (laughs) (laughs) And they went on about their way. Uh About two weeks ago, I took a very experienced developer on a tour. They saw the cranes in the sky they got very excited about what was happening. And I relay the story because sometimes it's the visual mm-hmm. that's necessary yes. for people to understand that there is opportunity. And you marry that visual with tax incentives, with capital that cities are willing to provide, marrying with federal opportunities. If you're able to combine all these financial tools in a way that you can leverage them many times you're able to create projects that are financially successful, but also deliver important built environments for the community that lives there. Mm-hmm. That
0: That's tremendous. And because it sounds to me, based on what you're talking about, one is a vision. The second is the ability to articulate the vision. And the third is just to have one or two examples of where people have made money actually delving into the space.
1: That's right. And and you need a little bit of a critical mass yes. happening. Yes. You know, Jamaica has great proximity to the airport and there were a mix of various hotels you know in the downtown center once we had a developer look at developing a Marriott courtyard and Fairfield Inn and that began to rise from the ground you had four other hotel developers come into the downtown and decide that they wanted to acquire property And Bill, meet your hotels. Yeah.
0: It's sort of the age-old problem, right? Nobody wants to come to the party unless it's clear that the party is thumping, if I can
1: use that analogy.
0: You know, I think the real challenge for someone in your seat in another city as a CEO of an economic development corp or even as a public official is making that first sale. How do you construct the argument because it's a great market inefficiency when no one's investing there, when there's clearly a gap, there's a huge commercial opportunity, just, you know, basic economics 101, demand and supply. So I'm trying to help the brand new CEO of City X in economic development or the newly elected mayor who's in their late 30s, early 40s, who's trying to get their arms around this. And it hasn't happened in their city for a few decades. That first one, because as you said, the visual, the first one creates momentum. Well,
1: I think sometimes it's necessary for the economic development entity to actually do the first one. They have to actually lead the market. I believe that the Greater Jamaica Development Corporation acts in that way. We lead the market. So, for example, the first major mixed-income residential development near public transportation in the downtown was created by an assemblage of properties, so properties that Greater Jamaica bought over the course of 10 years, approximately 400 feet of frontage on a wow. major avenue to sell to a developer to build mixed income housing. And so it required that major push okay. by the not-for-profit to actually be involved in the process, mm-hmm. to jumpstart development activity. Well,
0: if I can shift back to your old life here for a second. You spent a lot of time up in Harlem and made a tremendous impact at the Upper Manhattan Empowerment Zone along with your colleagues. Can you walk us through the project that you think has had the greatest multiplier effect if you think about your over a decade of experience there?
1: There is a project on 116th Street and the FDR Drive, which is a 600,000 square foot retail complex. And in that community, as I mentioned earlier, you know, dearth of services, underserved from a retail perspective, it has created, you know, regional economic activity, generated a thousand jobs, and really, you know, created a shot in the arm for the community of East Harlem. So this was a six-acre parcel, old wire factory that had been dormant for decades. And two sponsors owned the property jointly took about fifteen years to get the project in construction and developed. Today that project contains a Aldi's, a Burlington Coat Factory at PetSmart, and at its opening, the first Target and Costco on the island of Manhattan. Wow. UMES provided $40 million in triple tax-free bonds and $15 million in direct loan capital. Um, This loan capital was at very favorable terms and was a critical component of the capital stack. Uh, New York City provided other incentives, and there were approximately 13 lenders in this transaction. I mean, that's how difficult it is to get these deals done. And so, you know, when you look at a project like that, that changes uh, the course of a community, I feel very proud about being able to bring that online.
0: And, you know, Hope, one of the things that I continue to scratch my head about is your comment that it took a lot of lenders to get involved there. And I do believe, and please debate my point, but I think there is a perception that there is inordinate risk in these communities when, in fact, these are the very communities that are retail loyal and that spend a lot of capital in these institutions. They are bankable entities, bankable individuals. So I continue to marvel at how people perceive that there's an outsized risk when, in fact, the data
1: tells you differently. I mean, am I wrong there? You're absolutely right. And when you talk about these retail chains in urban centers, generally, they're the highest-grossing stores in the region where they exist. And so you hear that over and over again. And I will tell you, I am a little frustrated because we are now 10 years away from sort of proof of concept With respect to urban retail and how profitable it could be, and I still feel like we have retailers that I talk to to attract to Jamaica that are still sitting on the fence because they perceive that there is still tremendous risk in that type of transaction.
0: Yes. And, you know, in many
1: cases, a lot of this data is public data. Absolutely. And I think that we got stuck in the crisis 2008. And it took until about 2014 before lenders came back to these markets and have decided to invest in a very significant way. And there's still great opportunity
0: right. as far as I can see. Let's pivot for a moment to specifically focus on access to capital in a different way. You know, Hope, we've been talking about community development and community investment from what I'm going to call an institutional standpoint. The Economic Development Corp setting up investments in the city to attract other investments for Again, above market opportunities. But there's also another opportunity that I would call is at the individual level, targeting specifically entrepreneurs. And that's in the form of nonprofits who are working in this space in the community, like a Grameen, like a True Fund, for example. And you happen to be on the board of both of those organizations. So can you talk a little bit about how they actually close the gap by providing access to capital specifically to entrepreneurs?
1: So, I joined the board of Grameen America in 2010. Um, This is an entity that was created by Professor Muhammad Yunus of Bangladesh. Grameen in Bangladesh is a billion-dollar organization that is focused on lending small amounts of money to women entrepreneurs. And so, we have been involved in expanding the model from New York City to 13 other cities around the country, providing over $800 million of loan capital to immigrant women at Dollar amounts as low as fifteen hundred dollars. And my understanding is uh, is that the default rate is single digit to zero. That's right. It's it's zero to one percent. Just to talk a little bit about the model, the, the way we're able to drive these results is that you know one woman finds four other women that will be in her lending circle. They take a training. At the end of the training, they open a bank account. They become a group. The person that is seeking the loan presents their a proposal to the group. The group votes on the proposal, and then that process is repeated throughout the group. In order for the next person to get a loan, the whole group has to be current on their loan. So this is accountability that creates mm-hmm. this low default rate. Mm-hmm. And True Fund. True Fund is an example of a not-for-profit alternative lender that is in the metro New York region and also in the Gulf region, so Alabama and Louisiana. And it has become expert in a couple of things. First of all, it's been involved in disaster lending for small businesses. So it was there after 9-11, after Hurricane Uh Katrina, after Sandy, so really does understand how to get in and move capital quickly. Um, The other area where True Fund is expert is that it has focused on something called mobilization loans for MWBE companies. So women in minority-owned businesses that are involved in construction often get contracts from government. And you need some capital to get yourself going to either buy supplies or to pay subcontractors. And True Fund has figured out how to put in place a model that will lend funding for these contracts that small businesses are able to get access to.
0: Okay. So is there an opportunity for investors to play in that space if they don't want to start that greenfield in their own right? Is there an opportunity to partner with a true fund, invest in a true fund to get access
1: to those investment opportunities? Absolutely. I think that you can partner with a true fund. Banks have the greatest opportunity to be able to partner with a true fund to deploy capital, To an intermediary that can get capital to the places that, you know, historically, banks haven't been able to place.
0: They don't have the expertise with this particular borrower. Market segment, that's right. Understood, understood. Uh, What key takeaway or advice can you share on the benefits of these strategic partnerships and
1: accessing capital to spur economic growth? I think that it takes partnership to get many of these critical problems solved. In urban communities, I look at New York City, and New York City is, I think, a model of being able to get private capital to invest in public infrastructure, for example, in exchange for being able to build greater density. It's so important that the public, the private, not-for-profit sector work together to solve a lot of these thorny problems that we've been grappling with.
0: Yes. And if you're a firm like ours, another financial institution or you are an institutional or individual investor, ways that we can get involved in the revitalization efforts
1: of communities like Jamaica, Queens? I think you can invest directly in projects. You can work with other financial institutions and invest in projects. I think you can locate your business in a place like Jamaica, Queens.
0: Okay. So if I'm an entrepreneur, give me the pitch. Why is Jamaica, Queens a great place for me to
1: live and work? It's a wonderful, walkable community with tremendous infrastructure, fantastic diversity, and it's at the beginning of a revitalization. So there is value.
0: Yes. Okay. If I'm a college student or an MBA student and I'm thinking about what area of the economic development workforce that I should join, why should I consider an emerging community or community development?
1: I think place-based economic development is tremendous. You get to work across all sectors, and the experience that you will gain in an opportunity like that will be fantastic, and you see the results of your effort very quickly. Well, ladies and gentlemen,
0: you've spent a few minutes with me with the president and CEO of Greater Jamaica Development Corporation, Hope Knight. So what we know for sure is that she is an expert with respect to economic development. She's also an expert with eyeing tremendous commercial opportunities and a visionary who can articulate uh, and sell that opportunity to both institutional and individual investors. Now I'm going to take a couple of minutes for you to get to know the woman. All righty, Hope. Lightning round. Right or left-handed? Right. Favorite attraction in Harlem? Mars Jamel Mansion. Favorite attraction in Jamaica, Queens? Rufus King Museum. City or countryside? Always a city. Winter or summer? Fall. (laughs) Coffee or tea? Coffee. Red or white? Red. Ah, yes. Texting (laughs) or talking? Talking all
1: day. I hear
0: you. Last thing you downloaded?
1: Dan Doktorov's book on New York City. Oh, cake or pie? Cake. Favorite city in the U.S.? san francisco if you could host a talk show who would be your first guest carla harris
0: oh thank you girl <laughs> surprising fact about jamaica
1: the seat of commerce in the late 1700s was the place where trading took hold with respect to farm products and all kinds of other commodities hope night thank you very much thank you carla
0: Thank you all for listening. I'm Carla Harris and we'll be back soon with another conversation about access and opportunity.